Thank you and uh, welcome to the third quarter earnings presentation for Flex LNG. My name is Eistan Kalleklev and uh, I'm the CEO of Flex LNG Management. Together with our CFO, Harald Gurvin, I will guide you through today's presentation and the replay of the webcast will also be available at, on our webpage flexlng.com. Uh, Flex LNG is a shipping company focused on the growing market for seaborne transportation of liquefied natural gas and we are listed both at Oslo and New York Stock Exchange under the ticker FLNG. First, a disclaimer with regards to, among others, uh, forward-looking statements and completeness of details. The full disclosure is available in the presentation and we recommend that the presentation is read together with the interim financial report and our annual report, which are all available on our webpage. So, First of all, I'm pleased to say today's presentation is packed with highlights and we have put up a top 10 list of bullish points uh, on this slide. To start with the financials, in the third quarter we delivered revenues of 29.8 million, which was 10.8 million higher than in the second quarter. Adjusted EBITDA was also up by 10.5 million compared to the previous quarter. TCE increased from 46,300 per day to 48,200 in the third quarter, in line with the guidance of approximately 60,000. Please bear in mind that we took delivery of Flex Constellation and Flex Courageous in June and August, respectively, so we just had two ships doing the, uh, the maiden voyage in this quarter, which is one or third of the fleet on the water in the quarter. Maiden voyage for ships not tied to long-term charter are typically done at a discount to market due to the ship lacking certificate and having to positioning from yard. When it comes to financing, we executed 525 million of new loans for the quarter. The financing executed was the new building financing of 125 million dollars for Flex Courageous, which was delivered end of August, as well as the 300 million sale charter back transaction with Hyundai Glovis for Flex Endeavor and Flex Enterprise, and lastly, the $100 million refinancing of Flex Ranger. We are also very pleased to announce that we have secured a very attractive new $629 million debt facility for five of our remaining seven new buildings. This facility is supported by $300 million of commitment from Korea Exim Bank through loans and guarantees as well as a syndicate of 11 banks and interest for participation in this facility in the banking market have been very high. Harald will provide more details about the financing later in the presentation. When it comes to the freight market, we have seen a big improvement in the second half of the year with charter rates approaching the record levels seen last season. Thus, we are not only able to deliver better third quarter results, but also expect to deliver significantly better results in the fourth quarter. Subject to normal uptime, we expect revenues in fourth quarter of approximately 50 to 55 million dollars. I will go into more details about the market also a bit later in the presentation. When it comes to in-house ship management, Flex LNG fleet management received the document of compliance which is basically the license to operate in mid-October, according to our plan. We are now ready to transfer the technical management of the ships to this new management company. 
charters have responded positively to our new ship management setup, so we are confident that this will also result in more long-term employment opportunities for our ships. As we are also seeing increased awareness by investors to take a broader approach than simply financial measures, but also taking into account factors relating to the environment, social and governance, we have also implemented ESG reporting based on the Sustainability Accounting Standard Boards framework, which I also will come back to. The last point is dividends. With positive financial results, improved outlook and earnings visibility, healthy liquidity situation, and financing in place for the 2020 new buildings, the board has decided to declare a dividend for the third quarter of 10 cents, which is in line with the clean earnings per share for the quarter. So, the ship management. Getting approval for in-house ship management company is a big milestone. We have put in considerable effort in time and resources to get this in place, and we think this will put the company in a better position to attract longer-term employment. As we have communicated, it is our ambition to gradually build more backlog as the fleet of ships on the water is growing. We have, during the last year or so, recruited a very experienced technical team, which has taken up key positions in flex LNG fleet management. The reason for taking ship management in-house are primarily threefold. First of all, LNG is complex trade with basically a live cargo which needs to be managed correctly at all times, and this is considered mission critical by our charters. Secondly, this is for us very much business driven. Our customers are demanding and require first class service around the clock to ensure safe and reliable transportation. As Flex LNG has the most modern fleet of large and advanced LNG carriers, we think our commitment and involvement will push, push us in a better position to also secure long-term com uh, term commitments by charters through longer-term employment contracts. Thirdly, we have a long-term perspective on our assets, and our assets have a very long technical and economic life. Greater involvement will also ensure better control that our vessels are operated and maintained at all times to the highest standard, ensuring competitive total cost of ownership during the rather long lifespan of these ships. And lastly, with the fleet of touring ships and our ability to take synergies from the sea tankers organization, we have the right scale and organization to, do, to take on this endeavor. Last slide before turning it over to Harald for the financing and financials. This is related to our new ESG reporting. As mentioned in the highlights, more and more investors are today focused on measures not only related to financials. We are very positive to increased awareness about non-financial measures, and these are parameters we as management also keep a very close eye on. More focus on environment we also think is positive, given the fact that our company is focused on transportation of LNG. LNG, or natural gas, is the cleanest hydrocarbon and offers significant reduction in pollution compared particularly to coal, but also oil products. The CO2 emissions compared to coal are reduced by about 50%, while a 20 to 25% reduction vis-à-vis -vis oil products are also achievable. However, in terms of local pollutants like socks, NOx, and particulate matter, the reduction in emissions are much higher than this. Additionally, 
Our fleet consists of the newest and most fuel-efficient LNG carriers, which consume about half the fuel as the old steamships, while the cargo capacity is also around 30% bigger than these ships. After reviewing different reporting standards, we have decided to implement the well-recognized Sustainability Accounting Standards Board's reporting guidelines. The SASB offers the benefit of having reporting guidelines for in total 79 different industries, enabling us to report industry-relevant measures, which can be benchmarked towards industry peers. Furthermore, it identifies material sustainability factors that are likely to improve or impact financial performance. Our ESG report is today available on our website, flexlng.com slash ESG, and this contains key non-financial numbers related to environment, social issues, as well as governance issues. So, Harald, with that, uh, we can go to the financials. Thank you, sir. We are pleased to announce that we have secured financing for the five new buildings delivering in 2020. The facility was substantially oversubscribed with commitments from Kexin and 11 leading international shipping banks, demonstrating our ability to raise financing at very attractive terms. The total facility is $629 million, or $125.8 million per vessel. Kexim will provide a total of $379 million in direct loans and guarantees, and in addition, there is a commercial bank tranche of $250 million. The facility also includes an upsize option of up to $50 million in case of long-term employment acceptable to the banks. The Kexim commitment is for up to 12 years, and the commercial bank loan has a term of five years from the delivery of the final vessel, scheduled for November 2020. The average repayment profile is 20 years, and the average margin approximately 2.2% per annum over the life of the facility, giving an attractive all-in cost of approximately 4% based on current interest rate levels. The projected break-even rate, including OPEX, is also comfortable at $43,000 per day per vessel. As for our other financing, there is no requirement for firm employment, and the financial covenants are linked to balance sheets. The financing remains subject to final documentation and customary closing condition, and is expected to be drawn upon delivery of the relevant vessel. <clears throat> During 2019, we have secured close to 1.3 billion in new financings, of which 525 million was executed in the third quarter. The 10-year, 300 million sale and charterback transaction with Hyundai Glovis for Endeavor and Enterprise closed in July. The transaction has fixed monthly payment structure, giving annuity-style cash flow profile at an all-in cost of around 6%, and a 20-year repayment profile of 21 and a half years age-adjusted. The Flex Rainbow is also financed under a 10-year Asian sale and leaseback structure, maturing 2028. The 157.5 million transaction closed upon delivery of the vessel in July 2018, bears interest at LIBOR plus a margin of 3.5% per annum, and has a repayment profile of 20 years. Flex Constellation and Flex Corregions are financed under a 250 million bank facility entered into in April this year, where the final 125 million tranche was drawn upon delivery of Courageous in end August. The facility has a tenor of five years from delivery of the last vessel, bears interest at LIBOR plus a margin of 2.35% per annum and has a 20-year payment profile. 
In July, we also entered into a $100 million term loan and revolving bank facility for the refinancing of the Flex Ranger, which, together with Endeavor and Enterprise, was financed under the $315 million facility. The new facility is divided into a $50 million term loan and a $50 million revolving facility, giving us flexibility to save interest costs by keeping the revolver undrawn. The facility has a tenor of five years and bears interest at LIBOR Plus margin of 2.25% per annum. Their repayment profile is 17.9 years or 19 years age adjusted. The 50 million revolving part of the facility was undrawn at quarter end. Following these transactions, we have a very comfortable debt maturity profile with the first maturity due in July 2024. With financing secured for the five new buildings delivering in 2020, we have limited remaining unfunded capex for our seven new buildings. The net remaining payment on the five new buildings in 2020 is on average 11 million per vessel, which will be funded from our available liquidity. The remaining capex on the two new buildings delivering in 2021 is 126 million per vessel, which is in line with the recent bank financings we have done, and well below the Hyundai Glovis sale and charter back leverage of 150 million per vessel. As mentioned, the 629 million facility also includes an accordion option of up to 10 million per vessel, subject to long-term employment acceptable to the banks. And we may also request to replace two of the 2020 new buildings with the two new buildings delivering in 2021 if we enter into alternative financing for any of the 2020 vessels. We have previously guided a cash break-even level for our vessels on the water of around 50,000 per day per vessel, including OPEX. Based on the recent improved financing terms and also lower interest rate levels, the cash break-even level for the fourth quarter 2019 is estimated at just above 48,000 per day. The new 629 million facility has a projected cash break-even level of approximately 43,000 per day, which is expected to reduce the overall break-even level once the vessels are delivered in 2020, giving substantial free cash flow potential over the next years. Moving on to the income statement, revenues for the quarter came in at 29.8 million, from 19 million in the previous quarter. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was 28.8 million, an increase of 10.5 million compared to the previous quarter. Administrative expenses in the quarter were impacted by an initial listing fee and legal costs in connection with the U.S. listing, and also costs associated with establishing the in-house technical ship management services. The increase in interest expense is due to a full quarter of interest on 125 million tranche drawn upon delivery of Flex Constellation in June and drawdown of the remaining 125 million tranche relating to Courageous in August, and also increased leverage due to the refinancing of the vessels Flex Endeavor and Flex Enterprise with a 300 million sale and charterback transaction with Hyundai Globis in end July, whereby the existing mortgage debt totaling 194 million was prepaid. The result for the third quarter also includes 900,000 in negative non-cash mark-to-market on derivatives relating to interest rate swaps, compared to 2.2 million negative mark-to-market in the second quarter. We also recorded a non-cash write-off of deferred debt issuing costs of 3.4 million due to the refinancing of the 315 million term loan facility entered into in December 2017. The facility was fully prepaid in July upon closing of the Hyundai Glovis and Charterback and drawdown of the new 100 million facility for Flex Ranger. Net income for the quarter 
including the non-cash write-off of 3.4 million and the 900,000 negative mark-to-market, was 500,000, compared to a net loss of 3.9 million in the previous quarter. Then moving on to our balance sheet, per September 30th. Following delivery of Flex Courageous in August, our assets consisted of six vessels on the water with an aggregate book value of $1.16 billion at quarter end. In addition, we have booked vessel purchase prepayments of $349 million relating to the seven new buildings on the construction, which represents the advance payments on these. Total debt at quarter end was $737 million, of which approximately $34 million is due over the next 12 months and thus classified as current liabilities. We had a solid liquidity position at quarter end, including free cash of $56.5 million, $50 million freely available under the new $100 million bank facility, and also $270 million available under the revolving facility provided by Sterna. Total equity as per quarter end was $821 million, giving a strong equity ratio of 52%. Looking at our cash flow, the operational cash flow was $8.4 million for the second quarter. The final payment upon delivery of Flex Courageous was $145 million, which was part financed by drawdown of the final 125 million tranche under the 250 million facility. In addition, we executed the 300 million sale and charter back transaction with Unaglovis and the 100 million refinancing of Flex Ranger, bringing total new debt in the quarter to 525 million. At the same time, we prepared a full outstanding of 294 million under the 315 million facility and also repaid the 50 million revolver under the 100 million facility. This gave an net cash flow for the quarter of 30 million and cash position of 56.6 million a quarter. And with that, I hand the word back to Öystein, who will give an update on the market. Thanks, Al. So, let's move on to talk a bit about the LNG market. And first, we start with the freight market. Freight market generally tends to improve from the autumn due to higher gas demand. Gas demand is again driven by consumers buying increased volume of LNG following cooling season for inventory injection, but also due to increased demand caused by colder weather as we are getting into the winter months and thus creating more heating demand. 2019 has been no different with freight rates evolving according to previous seasonal pattern despite a backdrop of very low gas prices and generally softer demand from Asia than envisioned earlier in the year. Demand in the three large import nations, Japan, China, and South Korea, have been on the soft side this year, in Japan and South Korea mostly due to increased nuclear production. China, we expect to deliver around 15% growth in 2019 versus uh, 2018. This is down from the 40% growth in 2018, but still pretty robust despite lower economic growth as well as significantly reduced import in October due to severe um, weather. It is, however, important to bear in mind that while low LNG prices can be negatively short-term due to charters' willingness to pay for transportation, low LNG prices spur demand and switch from coal to natural gas. We are these days seeing increased demand from price-sensitive markets. This includes Europe, which also has seen both uh, high regas which also have a high regas and storage capacity, as well as increased incentive to switch from coal to gas, given the fairly high carbon prices in Europe. 
So when it comes to, to ship availability, our main market thesis this year have been that increased volume, more cargoes flowing into Asia in the second half of the year, as well as contango in gas prices, will result in gradual build-up of floating storage of LNG. We could add to this mix congestion, which has also played our part so far this season. I will shed some more lights on some of these drivers uh, on the following slide. All this means fewer ships available to chase cargoes, resulting thus in higher rates as illustrated on the previous slide. As illustrated by this graph, the number of prompt ships available today is only four ships. And this is for all the three basins being Atlantic, Indian Ocean, and Pacific. Four ships is less than 1% of the entire LNG fleet, so we are experiencing a similar tightness seen last year, which is supportive of freight rates. To illustrate the shift in trading pattern, we have on slide 15, now 14 provided a breakdown of US volumes from cargo tracker Kepler, as these volumes tend to be a bit more footloose than most other cargoes. In first half of 2019, volumes from US to Asia were flat compared to 2018. As explained in last quarterly presentation, European buyers stepped into the market grabbing their new volumes and buying on aggregate almost as much volume as Asian buyers in the first six months of 2019 from the US. As the sailing distances from US Gulf to Europe is about half the distance to the largest import markets in Asia, the shipping costs are less, and this has favor this trading pattern with negative implication for ton mileage multiplier in the first half of the year. However, as expected, more cargoes have been heading for Asia in third quarter, given the net pack and the contango structure in gas prices. This is positive for shipping demand, with trading multiplier bouncing back, although still at lower levels seen historically. Volumes from US to Asia are now up 15% for 2019, Europe is still absorbing increased number of U.S. cargo, but the growth in European imports from U.S. have tapered off. Given the low prices of gas, we also seen buyers in Latin America and the Middle East increasing their purchases of U.S. LNG. So, uh, during the early part of the year, we have seen a steep contango in the forward gas prices. As the spot prices for gas has increased, while they which they normally do when we're heading into the heating season, this spread have narrowed. Furthermore, the realized spot price for winter contracts are now at considerably lower levels than the forward prices implied earlier in the season due to the glut of LNG now coming online and somewhat softer pull from Asia to reasons described earlier. However, with the rapid increase in hedging through derivatives, this means several of cargoes which have been floating or are still floating have probably been already hedged at higher prices than the current spot prices. Keep also in mind that only about 15% of traded volumes are linked to spot prices, with another 15% being linked to gas prices like Henry Hub or TTF, which is the Dutch uh, gas hub. The vast majority of volumes, about 70%, are linked to the oil price as it's being sold under long-term offtake agreement with take-or-pay obligations. Hence, these volumes are less sensitive to spot price fluctuations for LNG. That said, the low gas prices have been the primary headwind we have 
faced in 2019, and we do expect fairly low gas prices also in 2020 due to the amount of new volumes that need to be absorbed by the market. The graph to the right shows the number of ships in floating storage reported by cargo tracker Kepler, and the number and shape are very much in line with last year. However, the peak was reached at a slightly earlier period than last year, and the storage have generally been for shorter period of times compared to last year. It's also interesting to see that most of the floating storage this year have been in the Atlantic, while last season this was predominantly occurring in the Pacific. Despite fewer ships in floating storage over the last couple of weeks, we have not, not seen a corresponding number of ships becoming available in the market, which have kept spot rates remarkably stable during the last couple of weeks. With the dispute regarding Ukraine pipeline transit for Russian gas still not resolved and deadline 31st of December, we think European buyers might take precaution in securing sufficient gas availability, so we wouldn't rule out that European floating storage could bounce back in case progress is not made in these negotiations. So, when it comes to the order book, we in Flex LNG have been ahead of the curve and already have six ships on the water. Five ships for delivery in 2020 and the remaining two for delivery early 2021. Hence, we generally have better slots than other owners with uncommitted vessels. There are 36 ships for delivery in 2020 and with about 25 million tons of increased production, we think the shipping market will remain very tight where the level of tightness will depend on trading pattern which is again influenced by gas prices. It's also important to keep in mind that while new volumes are supportive of shipping demand, the market for replacing older ships is actually uh, the biggest market. The fleet of conventional LNG carriers, including the 45 large Qatari, QFlex and QMAX ships, well exceed 500 ships. About half of the 200 steamships will come off long-term charters within the next five years, while the number for dual-fuel, tri-fuel ships are about 60. This means there are around 160 ships that can be re-delivered over this time frame, giving ample opportunity to replace these older ships with more modern ships. The new two-stroke Maggie and XDF ships are much more efficient due to larger cargo capacity and more efficient uh, propulsion systems. Hence, we do expect that charters to replace these older ships with newer modern ships, so more of the older types will eventually end up in the spot market. This also makes sense when considering that the utilization of charter ships tend to be higher than spot vessels, and it thus makes more sense for the inefficient ships to take an increasingly larger share of the spot cargos. Given the high speed, large, uh, large cargo size, and efficiency of our ship, of vessels, they actually fit better on longer-term contracts with high level of utilization and long sailing distances. We would also expect increased scrapping of older inefficient ships, particularly of the ships older than 30 years, which represent about 6% of the existing fleet. So, next graph is uh, illustrating the steady rapid increase of volumes with cumulative average growth rate last four years or so in excess of 10% on an annual basis. There are very few shipping segments with this uh, healthy growth rate. Being in a growing market is generally good for ship owners as excess supply typically is a temporary issue 
due to the demand growth resulting in rebalancing of the shipping market quicker than a stagnant market and typically without having to go through a long and painful attrition phase. We also expect continued near-term growth with the sanction projects coming on stream as illustrated on the right-hand side. We'll now look, have a look at the upstream projects which create new LNG volumes. 2019 is the best year ever when it comes to project sanctioning. This year we have seen five large new projects being sanctioned, as well as one expansion project related to Sabine Pass. This means about 63 million tons of new volumes, and we do also expect wood fiber LNG to get the green light this year, pushing the number to 65 million tons for 2019. Next year, we foresee a similar busy year for project sanctioning, with several projects very likely to go ahead and volumes at par or possibly exceeding the FID numbers for 2019. This, despite low gas prices, as most industry experts expect product markets to become increasingly tighter given the strong demand growth. In addition to the projects listed here, as likely to receive FIDs in 2020, according to Bloomberg New Energy Finance. We will also mention a project like Port Arthur in the U.S., which has made several positive announcements with head of agreements and offtake with both Saudi Aramco and Polish oil and gas, which typically increase the likelihood of this project being sanctioned in the near term. So now we have considered the historically and near-term growth of the market as well as the abundance of projects being sanctioned and projects under evaluation for near-term sanctioning, which will create future demand. The graph to the left illustrates the different growth projections for natural gas from different sources. Most industry experts pin this growth rate until 2035 at about 1.5%. McKinsey is one on the low side with a growth rate of 0.9% for natural gas, while the sustainable development scenario of IEA put a growth rate of 0.6%. Hence, even in a case with rapid growth of renewables, you would have more gas, as gas is very suitable to balance the intermittency of renewables dependent on the wind and sun. However, LNG will grow much quicker than natural gas, as more natural gas is expected to cross international borders in the form of LNG rather than natural gas by 2025, also according to Bloomberg. McKinsey, which has one of the lowest projected growth factors for natural gas, estimates LNG will grow on average 3.6% from now until 2035. Compound growth is very strong force, so this means the market should roughly double in size over the next 15 years. This makes us upbeat about the outlook for LNG shipping industry longer term. So, to summarize today's presentation before turning it over for questions, we are very pleased with the progress made. In the third quarter, we significantly improved our financial performance and delivered a TC of about 58,000 per day in line with our guidance. Furthermore, we kept on earth throughout the year and positioned the company for substantially higher freight rates in the second half of the year as we did expect floating storage would result in a very tight market. Hence, we expect substantially better trading results in the fourth quarter as we are benefiting from higher freight rates on our spot ships as well as the two ships we put on index link contracts early in the year. 
During the quarter, we were also very successful in executing and securing large amounts of long-term debt. During this year, we have executed 650 million of debt on our ships on the water and now secured almost a similar amount for our five next new buildings. The terms and conditions for these financings are, in our view, very attractive and have become incrementally better as financiers have confidence in our business strategy and tactical execution ability. We are also pleased to have a top-class in-house ship management in place with license to operate over the next, and over the next couple of months all our ships will be moved to flex LNG fleet management. With a first-class onshore organization, we are confident we are able to also deliver incremental backlog as our fleet of ships on the water is growing. With greater financial flexibility and improved outlook, we are also pleased to announce the first dividend for this company with 10 cents payable for the third quarter in line with the clean earnings per share. So that's it, folks. Uh, I pass the word back to the operator who will check if we have any questions from the listeners. Also, for those people who have questions in the chat function of, in the webcast, we would very much prefer those questions to be pretty short. So, operator, take it away. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press the hash key. Once again, please press star 1 if you wish to ask a question. And the first question comes from Greg Lewis from BTIG. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you and good afternoon. Hi, Greg. Good to hear from you again. Hope you yeah. are pleased with today. <laughs> it looked pretty good. Um, so as, as I think about opportunities for chartering vessels, you, you kind of made some comments in your prepared remarks about, you know, roughly 70% of the fleet being on-term charter. Um, as the global fleet, not, not Flex's fleet, how should we think about Flex potentially, you know, ramping up contract coverage and, and just, you know, some of your comments around having, you know, more modern tonnage, which is more, you know, probably in demand for time charters with, with some older vessels going the spot market. You know, I'm just kind of curious if you could kind of talk a little bit more about that in terms of timing and then just a little follow-up. You know, we've seen a lot of operators, um, not a lot, but enough operators that have new builds go out and, and fix those um, well before delivery. You know, next year I believe you have five ships getting delivered. Should we think about the potential for those ships to actually be fixed on contracts in advance of their deliveries? Just kind of any kind of color you could give around those, those, those comments. Yeah, thanks, Greg. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's questions we receive a lot. Um, so uh, so I don't really have to prepare anything for those questions. Uh, what I would say is that, uh, you know, first of all, we have to think where, where we are and, you know, what we have done with this company is basically, you know, we have seen that uh, the market will grow very rapidly. We have seen an underinvestment in ship, especially in the period 2016-17, early part of 18. I wouldn't say 18 in, in total, but first half of 18. That was certainly the case. Uh, and, of course, the reason was, you know, a poor freight market, uh, 14, 15, 16. And, you know, ordering is typically very pro-cyclical. So we, we saw that we could get good slots, good, very good prices on the ships, and then 
there would be demand for those ships when they were coming out now in 18, 1920. So, so we have been kind of in a, a bit different situation than most uh, ship owners where we actually just bought the most uh, advanced ships and then having the ability to, 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 to kind of uh, wait and see a bit and, and try to kind of find the right contracts for us and also being willing to, to, to trade the ships in the spot market. Uh, you know, and as long as the company was pretty small, you know, we started off with uh, uh, two ships in the beginning of 2017 and added uh, four ships then and we added uh, remaining seven in, in, in 18. So as we have been growing, of course, it's become a much bigger venture. So we do feel then that uh, we, we also need to build incremental backlog. So, of course, one way of, of, of achieving this is also to build a a big organization. So we have, you know, been out now, we, we started this process last year actually, how to insource the ship management process started last summer when we saw that we were taking on all these new ships. We recruited some very good people and, you know, for us it's pretty, I would say, easy to recruit people. We have the newest ships. We have a very attractive place to work in the sea tankers office office in Oslo where we are operating more than 250 ships and 35 new buildings today for, from the different uh, shipping companies in this house being Frontline, Golden Ocean, Ship Finance, US, Avance and, and Sea Tanker. So, so that means we can attract good people and then we have invested in people, processes, routines to build our first class ship management company. So that's the first step. You know, you have to build some kind of uh, what I say, credibility in what you are doing. I think, you know, we certainly have a lot of credibility in the financial markets and banks and, and charters in general, but to kind of build a first class in our organization to run ships on, on long-term contracts. You know, right now, you know, shifting a cargo from U.S. to, to Asia, you know, 50% of the cargo goes to, to freight. So the kind of the shipping side is a much more uh, a bigger factor of the value change in LNG shipping. So, so that's, we've done this step, step by step. We, we have entered some shorter term time charters. Uh, we, we, we announced one with NL last year, uh, which Flex Ranger is serving now. Uh, you know, we have announced also our index link this year where, you know, market, market was pretty, you know, dire in the early parts of the year and we fixed two ships on, uh, on, on index in order to get utilization, but also having the, opportunity to benefit from a much stronger freight market you now. With the kind of the ship management in place, with five ships for delivery next year, we do hope that we are able to to to, to build more long term contracts. And I would say, you know, for us somewhere contracts with three to seven year time time charter periods are what we are typically looking for. Um, you know, three of the ships next year I would say, you know, we, we expect those for long-term contracts. They have full relay systems, so we spent another $6 million on each of those three 2020 ships next year to have some features which is basically very relevant for ships on long-term charters, maybe not so much in the spot market. So, uh, you know, our goal and ambition is to build more long-term contracts if there are, if, if we are able to you know, charter out all the 2020 ships on long-term contracts, certainly we are willing to do that. Uh, 
but you know we need to see the right structure, the right uh, the right uh, charter, the right the right rate. Uh, but you know we do see a, a, a fair amount of 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 charters looking for pretty prompt requirements. Also in 2020, and people who have the ability to re-deliver an old steamship and replace it with a new ship. So so it's it's definitely our ambition not to have 11 ships at this time next year in the spot market. Okay, great. And then just one more follow-up for me, more more broad, forward-thinking. I mean, I, I guess Arctic to LNG was, was, was FID'd and is moving forward. Now, realizing that first gas is not even targeted until 2023, I think really 2024, has there been any talk in the markets, because I'm thinking those vessels might need to be, I guess first question, would those vessels have to be ice class? And just in thinking about that, is, is that a tender, is that going to be, should, that, should we expect that to be a new, new build tender process that sort of surfaces in the market sometime next year? Or is, or is that maybe still a little bit farther out? No, it's okay for the Yamal, you know, so Arctic LNG2 is very close to the existing Yamal. Uh, you know, there's three Yamal trains, and the fourth will be coming on stream as well, uh, probably next year. It's a, it's a bit smaller train. Uh, and uh, this is in Sabetta, and Arctic LNG is just close by. So it's uh, Yamal around 17 million tons and then 20 million on, on uh, Arctic LNG2. So here you have a situation where you need to have ice breaking. LNG carriers, so this is the ARC-7. Uh, <laughs> given the time it takes to, to build those, uh, you know, you have to get starting pretty early. Uh, I think, you know, the ambition, you know, is to build more of these ships in Russia uh, for the Arctic LNG-2 project. So, Svesta Yard have made certain agreements with uh, technology transfer for with uh, Korean Yards to, to build those there, and there will certainly be placed uh, tender for those ships. They are not. They are pretty unique ships. Uh, the, the the kind of the first series of uh, Arctic Arc seven ships, you know, typically can cost you 300, 350 million dollars. So, so those ships are like uh, almost like a shuttle tanker, uh, ice class shuttle tanker. You know, take the the cargo in Sabetta. You you can have the ability to break through ice, uh, and then uh, you can go to Europe usually. So you go to Europe in, uh, in, in the winter period and uh, you know, during first half of 2019 a lot of the volumes just stayed in Europe because it was better economics to sell them to European consumers. But the intention has been more to, to transship those cargoes to Asia where you know, a, a lot of the, 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 the buyers are. Uh, and then in uh, I believe four months uh, of the summer you are able to break through Northern Sea Route and the intention there is to build a terminal in Kamchatka for also ship-to-ship -ship or, or, or transfer. So, so the, the leg from Kamchatka and the leg from Europe will then typically be done on conventional LNG carriers, while these ARC-7s will do the kind of the heavy-duty work, uh, um, shuttling the, the cargoes out of Sabetta into more uh, hospitable areas for ordinary LNG carriers. And uh, last year they had... Uh, a bit lack of these uh, R7 LNG carriers due to volumes coming on quicker than expected and at higher volumes than nameplate. So a lot of the Yamal volumes was transshipped in Honningsvog, north of Norway, to conventional 
LNG carriers and they were executed 122 of those last season and we did 12 of those which is 10% with uh, our ship Flex Endeavour. So uh, for us it's, it's more the focused uh, conventional LNG carrier but Arctic LNG 2 is positive for LNG carriers the ordinary type because it will create demand for ordinary LNG carriers in Europe and then also Kamchatka. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, very much for the time. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Your next question comes from Peter Peterson from Abelina Capital. Please go ahead. Hi, Peter. Hi. Thank you for taking my question. I just got a minor question uh, in terms of your, uh, your OPEX. Can you perhaps uh, provide some more color on that uh, to explain delta between the quarters? And yeah. because I'm, I'm just wondering how you see this developing going forward. I see on page six of the presentation you use 13K in order to calculate uh, the new break-even with the new financing. Is this an internal figure you use as sustainable OPEX levels, like once the fleet is fully delivered? Or how do you think about uh, vessel OPEX going forward? Thank you. That's a good question, and uh, clearly you have done your math. Uh, uh, I would say that, you know, what we have guided there is around $13,000 uh, on OPEX. Uh, we've achieved a bit better numbers than this. Uh, the kind of the OPEX for Q3 looks, you know, very low. Uh, but, you know, it's usually when you get new ships, you can kind of sometimes have a bit lower OPEX in the early months uh, because of what I would call accruals. Uh, so that's one factor why OPEX is slightly low in, uh, in, uh, in QT. And then we also have fuel claims. You know, from time to time, you could have a situation where you had a fuel claim or, uh, or something like that, and you might have to do a provision. And when you talk to auditors, you, they usually would like to have as high provision as possible, and then when you do the end result, that settlement might be much less, uh, and then you have to reverse the settlement, so, so that's also a driver of the OPEX. Uh, uh, then we also see a composition change here that, you know, we put up in our ship management in the quarter, uh, expense a lot of this kind of cost through the admin, so you see admin cost is jumping up uh, a bit in Q3, and Maybe some of that cost, uh, which should probably better be kind of in the, the OPEX line. So I think, you know, we've given, uh, given a pretty good estimate of 13,000 on average for our ships. And uh, that's really the number we would expect to see over time. And there might be quarter by quarter differences, especially when you have ships delivering, because uh, some of uh, kind of the, the OPEX are then it could be on the high side on the, or the low side because the OPEX are not really that kind of uh, kind of gone through uh, when before you have a ship in kind of ordinary transportation, now in ordinary uh, kind of uh, journeys. That's very clear. Thank you. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. If you wish to ask a question, ladies and gentlemen, please press star one on your telephone. Okay, I think we have some uh, some questions from the audience here. That's right now on the web chat. I have to find my glasses here, but uh, we have a we have a question from uh, Santos Gupta. Uh, can you please suggest if lack of clarity on propulsion system with reference to 
IMO emission reduction target by 2050 will lead to lower LNG new orders going forward, especially from next year. So, okay. So in, in relation to emissions, um, you know, one of, I think, uh, the big benefits, I, I'm not sure if, if everybody noticed it, but, uh, but there is this called Poseidon principle, which is uh, a lot of the big banks have made a club and, and want to kind of flow the money to uh, kind of the more sustainable shipping companies. Uh, and, you know, we are one of the benefits of uh, because, uh, you know, we are in a situation here that uh, all ships are burning uh, LNG rather than, you know, heavy fuel oil or diesel. And, uh, you know, we do this in a very efficient way. Uh, we, we take it basically from the cargo and we eat a bit of the cargo every day. Uh, and of course, that's that's good for the environment. Uh, not only the CO2. The CO2 is actually you know 20-25% reduction compared to to oil. But uh, yeah, the local pollution, as I mentioned, are you know the the significant uh, higher numbers of reduction. And then uh, you also have the propulsion system itself. So uh, a, a kind of two-stroke propulsion system gives a thermal efficiency of 50 plus percentage while a steam propulsion system gives typically a thermal efficiency of 30, 35%. You know, it could be higher for the new hybrid systems, but, uh, but you know, that kind of improvement in the thermal efficiency means that kind of all ships are, you know, in the front, you know, when it comes to, to fuel economy and, and also what kind of uh, fuel you utilize. Uh, so it kind of, you know, if you have know the whole merchant fleet shifting to this kind of of, uh, of of propulsion system and LNG as fuel you have done a great of emissions and keep in mind that when it comes to transportation there is no uh, other kind of motorized transportation that comes close to the carbon footprint as uh, shipping when it comes to moving uh, large parcel of, of goods from one place to another so in our sustainability report, uh, which is available on flexlng.com uh, slash ESG, we have put out uh, some examples on this, and maybe that can give some more light on, on, on this question. But, uh, you know, these are, you know, ships that are much more efficient than in terms of carbon emissions. And, and this is actually one of the drivers where we are optimistic about Charting opportunities, a lot of the oil companies, energy companies today also are measured on their ability to reduce carbon footprint, uh, and it's becoming a key kind of incentive part of their uh, package for top management. And in order to achieve reduction in carbon intensity for oil and energy majors, they need to switch out the 200 steam ships they have on charter with newer ships, because then you can get the ships with 30% larger parcel size, which burn, you know, about half as much fuel. So that means that for every cargo unit you are transporting, you have a kind of fuel uh, uh, fuel reduction of, you know, close to 60%. Uh, so, so if uh, you want to have a 50% reduction of uh, of carbon intensity of shipping according to the IMO guidelines, you know, you should call us and, and uh, charter in a ship. So. I think we have one more question from Jack. Compliments to the great job for the quarter. 
I have two questions. Why has the company not fixed TCE charter when Bloomberg is already reporting the yearly TCE is 80K? I believe at 80K the company earns 30K per day per ship. Now the season is at high rate. I think we discussed you know, our charting strategy already. You know, we are gradually building our backlog, uh, and, uh, but we wanted to be positioned for what we have believed would be a very strong and second half of the year. And then, second question is, how is the company positioned to battle in the market in the period from 2021 to 2023, uh, which is expected to be weak? Uh, yeah, it's, it's right, you know, we have kind of a tapering off of the liquefaction volumes. Uh, you know, I think first half of 2021, you still have pretty good uh, production growth, I would say. Uh, we also do expect, you know, uh, a tighter product market. So what's been kind of one of the negative drivers this year is the, you know, the, the sheer amount of new gas coming to the market. And, you know, more supply, you know, means uh, lower price unless there is a corresponding high demand. So Europe has been, you know, gobbling up a lot of LNG, uh, you know, since it's become very cheap. Uh, so what we do expect is that, you know, we should be around peak lots in terms of, of LNG and that kind of the product market would start to become tighter from somewhere into 2020 probably and then into 2021, 22, 23. And, you know, there is kind of analysis where, you know, we get into a very tight product market in, in this period before new volumes are being ramped up, I would say, around 2023. And then a new wave of 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 uh, of, uh, of new liquefaction capacity coming, 23, 24, 25, uh, and these are the you know 65 million tons FID this year. It is the FID volumes, especially LNG Canada in 18, and then it's all the FIDs that coming next year, where we had a graph showing 90 million tons. And just to give you an idea, how many ships this is. Uh, so 65 million tons FID in 2019 should mean around 100 ships. So if the 90 ships, 90 million tons are coming, you know, somewhere close to that in 2020 uh, of FIDs, 90 million tons, depending a bit where it comes from, it, sh it should be, let's say, around 130 ships. So then you get uh, 230 ships. And then you also have the FID volumes for, for 2018. So it's a lot of new ships that will have to be added to the fleet. We also think that the, you would expect that winter 2021 would be pretty tight. 22 could be maybe a bit looser. Uh, 2023, you start getting new volumes. but. Uh, no, it's something, of course, we are also concerned about, and I think investors are in generally concerned about it, and that's why we, our stock price has uh, not been performing very well this year together with uh, the whole sector. So, so uh, you know, we, we try to mitigate it by having a, a, a kind of a, a reasonable uh, kind of approach to our charting strategy. Uh, being a bit ahead of the curve, which I think has been very much the case this year with regards to positioning ourselves for a stronger Q2 market. 
So um, let's see uh, when we come back uh, with uh, our quarterly numbers for Q4 in, in February, how we have progressed since then. Okay. We have one more question via the phone. Would you like to take it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and uh, it comes from the line of Jack Titan from Ballerina. Please go ahead. I think actually we just went through Jack's uh, questions. But uh, Jack, uh, go ahead. Hi, uh, thank you for taking one more question. So this uh, final question is about uh, uh, CapEx. So uh, what is the estimated dry dock cost per vessel every five years? And secondly, uh, when you say that your uh, break-even is 45000 per day, does it uh, include the maintenance capex? And is the maintenance capex part of uh, the operating costs, or it's uh, separate? So, yeah, it's good questions. Uh, docking every five years. Uh, we actually have coating on some of the ships where you could theoretically do the, the dry docking after seven and a half years. I, Probably not something we utilize, so, so kind of uh, when we are doing our accounting, we are assuming a docking every five years, uh, usual kind of capex related to a dry docking is around two and a half to three million dollars for a five-year survey, and then you would have to do a 10-year, 15-years, and, and so on. So, so the number is, is around that two and a half, three million dollars, so, uh, and, and that would then you know, our first ship to dock would be Flex Endeavor and Enterprise in 2023. Uh, when it comes to maintenance capex, you know, the OPEX of 13,000, uh, we don't really have maintenance in the sense you are, you know, if you have like a factory, you shut, shut it down for a month and do maintenance. We have what we would call it uh, continuous and conditional maintenance. So we are doing this every single day, uh, making sure that the ship is in, you know, top performance and, and operational uh, to make sure that uh, we can run smoothly. So, so the all the kind of maintenance capex is included in the opex number, which we have guided at thirteen thousand dollars a day. Thanks a lot, uh, and I wish you best for uh, the future. Okay, thanks. 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 Thank you. There are no further questions. Uh, please go ahead. Yeah, I think we just have one more question. We have some on the web. Uh, there's one question which I've received a lot today, so I might as well uh, do that before uh, hanging up here. And it's related to dividends. You know, how should we be thinking about dividends? Should there be similar dividends? And etc. You know. So uh, luckily, it's uh, not for me to decide. It's the board that decides the dividends. But what I can tell you is, you know, when we are making assessment or recommendation, at least to the board for management side in relation to dividends. Uh, we don't really look at a charter in isolation. We know we delivered fantastic results end of, uh, end of 2018, but decided not to pay dividends. And the reason for not paying dividends, I would say, was twofold. Uh, it was kind of the, you know, low visibility, and we also saw that the, the market softening quite a lot end of 2018. We're then a bit concerned about first half of, of, of 19. And then the second point being the fact that we had a lot of unfunded capex and starting to pay dividends before you have kind of secured financing. It's a bit, uh, you know, <laughs> not, not really prudent. So, so, uh, so what differs this round is the fact that 
we basically financed all the 2020 new buildings, and we have some option in the in the 2020 financing or to either also you know increase the the the, 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 the 629 million dollar facility and also swap. So meaning we could take out a ship and and move the financing and move it to 2021 ship. So we're very kind of comfortable with the remaining capex. We also have done a lot of financing this year, which have increased our cash balance. So ending the quarter with 56 million of free cash and 50 million of uh, under on uh, Ranger uh, revolver credit facility plus the Sterna. So we plenty of cash. We have a very good quarter, fantastic quarter next year, and we have more visibility into Q1 than uh, than last year because we have one vessel on a good time charter and two on index. So we are. And then some of the ships we have on spot, we have kind of longer duration into to Q1. So it means we have kind of, you know, confident about our kind of visibility into Q1. And with, you know, the combination of good, uh, good numbers, good visibility, lot of cash, uh, funding risk basically taken away, we feel it's comfortable to reward the shareholders with a dividend. Uh, I can be frank and say we have thought about uh, buybacks as well because our stock price is at the level uh, which makes it much cheaper to buy ships on the stock exchange than from the yards. So, but you know, we think it's more democratic to pay a dividend and then shareholders can spend them on uh, Christmas gifts or new flex LNG shares and you can decide yourself. So with that happy note, I think we, we, we call it a day, and uh, thank you a lot for listening in, and uh, I wish you a further good day.